Hi everyone, my name is Stath and I'm joined here today with Thomas Bedell and Will Evans and special guest Jonathan Blakey. Hi there, nice to be here, thank you very much. <laughs> um, Will, Tom, do you introduce yourself, say hi, catch up with anyone? Hello, not a pleasure to be here as always. Cool, um, so we're recording the day after the Mansfield game. Uh, I didn't go to this game. Um, Will, you were there. Tom, you were there. Jonathan, were you there yesterday? I was, yeah. Cool. Okay, so I'm the only one who wasn't there. Great start for me. Um, we will start from way back. The last podcast we recorded was uh, after the ASC Wimbledon game. Um, and Tom and I are fairweather fans at best. So Will and Jonathan, this is kind of your opportunity to fill in the gaps for us. So I'll go for Will first. Uh, just talk us through the games we've missed. Cool, it's been quite a list, hasn't it? I mean, straight after that, we really had the, possibly the highlight of the season with that 4-1 away win at Swindon Town, which was just absolutely phenomenal to watch. You know, the great football. It just had everything, didn't it? Goals, Shaq Coulthurst getting back on form with that hat-trick. Um, and they followed up again with that win against Cambridge United. So everything seemed to be going well, and then it all sort of took a bit of a turn for the worse with that late losing goal against Exeter City when we played so well in that match. And it's just kind of tailed off from there, I guess, the draw against Carlisle and then sort of into this run of of mostly defeats, you know, Crawley Town, Lincoln City, Wickham. So, yeah, up and down, I suppose, is the way to put it. Well, more a case of up and up and then just a slide down, I suppose. Jonathan, anything you want to add? Yeah, yeah I'd basically just sort of say the same sort of point as Will there, really. I mean, it started off so well, we beat Swindon. Um, and as Will said, it had everything. A hat-trick, four, five goals in the game, two red cards, um, penalties and everything. Bars being hit. And then, basically, we're going all right for a while, weren't we? Beat Cambridge, nearly beat Exeter. Um, I think it was where the Crawley game came came around and all of a sudden it took a nosedive and performances dropped. He changed the formation, Rossi, midway through that little run as four at the back for a little spell and didn't quite work the big game really the really big disappointment was Notts County away the, on the weekend um, that's where it sort of all came to a massive crash but yeah picked up against Mansfield last night so hopefully we're on the upward spiral again that would be very pleasing I think for fans and for all of us uh, <laughs> as people who have an interest in the club at the very least um one sort of question I want to go is a, as an all-encompassing aspect of that run. Uh, you've both summarised it as a high followed by a gradual low. Well, I'm going to go to you first. Do you think that that is all it was? It was just a, a gradual low, or do you think it was us a, regress, a regression to the mean, or mean? Sorry, or do you think it's um, something a bit deeper than that? Just as a as a, I mean, injuries is the first thing that springs to my mind. But is there anything else in there that that we may have missed? I think it's all about the injuries, to be honest with you. In fact, you can probably chart the results to go alongside the injury. So I think we, if anything, we were doing well to be picking up the results we were with the lack of players that we had at our disposal. And then in recent games, you know, certainly the Notts County game, you know, you didn't have um, Maro Valetti for that one. We had the injury to Cool Thurst when he was pretty much the only available striker apart from Acro Acro. Um, and then there was there was one game where Campbell Rice missed it as well. Was I think it was the Coventry match. Um, mm. And so you know, like, already the injury situation was pretty dire. And I, I just feel like maybe that last couple of extra injuries is really what pushed it over the edge. So the hope is that if we can start to get you know a couple of them back now, we've already seen a couple come back against Mansfield, and then potentially 
Akindi and Weston to come in the coming weeks, then we could sort of pick up again because if we just get in the results we have with the number of players we're missing, I don't think it's a, a terrible outcome at all. Okay. I think the um, I think the, the big change for me was uh, noticing games against Carlisle away. We were very unlucky not to win that. Um, and Exeter, again, we were very unlucky to come away with nothing. We at least deserved a point in that game. We played them off the park for about 60 minutes. But then sort of coinciding with those injuries, the performances took a drop and then there were games where we deserve to lose. That's that's fair. <laughs> I think we have a habit as as fans and again as people with a vested interest of saying things like, Oh, we we deserved a draw or a win would have been a fair result but ultimately sometimes you do actually deserve to lose games and sometimes you can be hard done by and, and have a narrow loss. Tom, I'm going to bring you back into play, you lucky man. Um, I know we're talking about games that you didn't see as I didn't, but injuries, I think you don't have to, what, to have seen any of the games or watched even parts of them to know that injuries had a massive impact in this time. Yeah, the thing I was just going to chime in with there actually, but I wanted to hear what Jonathan had to say, was it's we all know that they're first team players that are injured and we all know they're important first team players are injured but a lot of them have been guys that are very much the literal spine of the team as well so obviously although Craig Ross has done very well you know Jamie Stevens started the season as number one so that's your keeper out uh, Nels had a period out at the beginning of the season kind of a knock-on of pre-season wasn't it so that's your centre-half your central centre-half and skipper out Curtis Weston as well John as well and then you know the kind of uh, the, the backup strikers so to speak after him you know uh, Shaq and then you know Dave Tarpey after him as well and I think I was um, I was just watching some of the goals back or every goal back earlier that uh, we've conceded so far this season and the thing that I noticed that sort of ties in is just like the luck that has abandoned us right up to last night obviously the injuries obviously Tarpey getting injured immediately after signing I think everyone was kind of excited by that signing the equal the uh, the goal at Carlisle was an absolute worldie. What was it against uh, Exeter? One of the goals comes ricochets back off the. Someone hits it from the edge of the penalty area, hits the post. You know Ross had it covered, but it hits the post and bounces back out, and they have a tap in. And then last night the uh, the, the opening goal, and I just think you know it's one thing to have the injury luck abandon you, but some of that luck as well. It, you know it's a pretty exceptional set of circumstances that Rossi's been presented with and um, in in those circumstances I think it, really they are doing as, as best as they can to kind of just limp on without you know and, and not sort of sink without trace um, You mentioned luck quite a lot there a question for me as you guys know I'm not a big fan of the concept of luck in general <laughs> um, is, is what you're calling luck there could that be construed as perhaps players who are being overplayed due to injuries elsewhere in the squad um, being tired and then sloppiness is what we're conce- perceiving as, as bad luck but actually is just tired play. Uh, Will, from your experience watching the games, could that be fair or has it actually just been luck? No, I, I know what you mean um, and I do think that over the course of a season luck evens itself out but I think that in within the short or relatively short period we're looking at I do think that we've genuinely been unlucky saying that i also think that we've made a lot of naive errors possibly due to the kind of the youth of the team um that's contributed to our downfall but there has been i mean you know that goal that mansford scored last night was a classic example of just being incredibly unlucky you know the free kick shouldn't have been given away um i just think that if anything it's more that the luck hasn't gone for us so like 
there were games we played really well and we didn't come away with the win. So like Exeter City being the, the classic example. But I can't think of any games this season where we didn't play well and somehow managed to nick a win. Do you see what I mean? So I think like on mm. balance, it doesn't feel like we've ever had it go our way over the course, you know, in the, over these games. Uh, but surely that's got to change at some point, you'd, you'd imagine. Wouldn't it be poetic if that's met when players start to return from injury and then we see a sudden uptick in our, our luck as well? Um, has anyone else got anything to say on that period, Jonathan? Anything on that period of, of games? Yeah, I believe luck has something to do with it. But then also, you've got to remember, we have such a young squad. We're missing so many key senior players. We have such a young squad. I remember there was a one game a little while ago. I can't remember if it was before your last podcast or after it, but it was Crew away. And I just remember watching Harry Taylor play in that game and thinking, he is knackered. And with that, comes mistakes I remember the game against Exeter where we lost we were so unfortunate to lose it it was David Tutondo who gave away a really silly foul right in the last minute and that's the free kick they scored from in a way you sort of make your own luck and also create your own bad luck as well um, no, I'm glad looking you say after that. players is, say, I'm glad you say looking that after players, to me, yeah. sorry, sorry to me that seems yeah. like effectively that's the question I'm asking because I think we kind of we we have a series of expectations about football and if things don't sit within that series of, series of expectations it's just assigned to luck and I've not been at enough games to understand to sorry to, to see that for myself and to be able to understand it as what I'm thinking it is but it's interesting that you say that because I, I, I feel that that has an impact I feel like um, these players being young and experienced playing potentially too many games in too short a period of time uh, I feel like that could have an impact. Tom, I know it was your original point and I've kind of counterpointed it without giving you a chance to talk. So I'm going to throw back to you. Well, I was just going to say, actually, I think you, you are right. Um, there's um, there's kind of, it's twofold in every incident, isn't it? Like the goal yesterday was a perfect example. The bad luck was that the referee gave a free kick when it wasn't a free kick. But we then presumably were incensed by that didn't set up properly didn't react properly to the free kick and conceded a seriously scrappy goal and I mean Will turned to me at the time and said God, can you imagine if we concede from this and it was almost inevitable that we did because um, they must they, you know as a player you must be so rattled by the sense of injustice at the way the free kick was given against you that you're bound to kind of not be 100% at it when the free kick comes in and that isn't bad luck. Like, that's you know, that's something you can control. Um, who, who was it? it what, was it Graham Wesley who always used to say, "Control the controllables" or something like that? And that you know, you can't legislate necessarily for the referee does, but when it comes to setting up for the free kit, you can make sure you do your job properly and get rid of it. And it's been a recurring theme: the set pieces that we've not dealt with them, hasn't it? And proved to be the case again last night. So I think it's it's, it's a case. It's a sort of bit of balance of both. But one thing, if I could just add, that of course the the key thing is that the real bad luck is not having the players available, isn't it? So you know you can put it down to this kind of youth a youthful team making mistakes or whatever. But of course the only reason we're forced to play a youthful team or forced to play players too many times when they're knackered is because of the injuries to start with. So in a sense, it probably does all come back to the core of being unlucky with the injuries. That's a it's also fair a, point. Sorry, Jonathan, carry on. It, it's also a trait of young players that when they're breaking through, they're so inconsistent as well. Wesley Fonguck has been asked to play a mammoth amount of games already. 
he's still only 20 years old and I don't think he's even played 20 games and people are jumping on his back when he misplaces a pass or something like that. It seems a bit unfair to be placing this much pressure on these young players but at the same time we have no other choice really, do we? It's a very valid point and you've used a great example there because Wes is a player I think I mentioned in the last pod once again trying to pat myself on the back early in a pod I think I mentioned last time that he's a player that has become sort of relatively crucial to us and out of nowhere basically we were talking about a big DM problem at the start of the season we didn't sign one and then an unfortunate series of injuries means that Wes is now our starting DM and doing very well all things considered but won't get the plaudits for it or I feel isn't getting the relevant level of plauditry for it um, before we go to the Mansfield game which Tom I, I can just sense you're edging to go to there's a game that before that which was on TV and I just want to have a quick chat about that which is the commentary game on. go on then the, playing the kids sorry just before I forget it because it is worth saying I hope um, <laughs> I'll be the judge any, of that sir <laughs> any other oh, two seasons ago this injury crisis happens and Martin Allen would have been able to go out and get five players on loan can't do that anymore loan window's gone you've got to do all your business in August and it's fine for championship clubs to be prohibited from doing any business outside of the two windows but for League 1 and League 2 clubs you know notwithstanding the real big boys uh, it's not possible to carry a 30 man senior squad in case you know five, six, seven senior players get struck down with long term injuries and obviously there are benefits to it like last season where um we had no right back so Harry Taylor got a good run in the team and did and did well and kind of proved that he was worthy of a, a first team spot but you know in an ideal world we'd assign someone on loan for six months to cover James Pearson in an ideal world this season uh, you know we'd assign someone on loan to cover Richard Brindley and we'd assign someone on loan to cover Elliot and you know and it, they'd have probably been senior players and we'd have been fine but as it is we've had to pitch the kids in so it's good that they get the exposure but you probably don't want to be giving as many of them uh, that exposure all at once, you know. Agree with that. I th- I'm gonna I'm gonna change my mind before we cover the commentary because Tom, you rela- that was a good interject inter- interjection. Uh, <laughs> I can't think of English yeah. anymore. It's such a difficult language, suddenly. Um, and th- that was valid. And I think there's a really good discussion that we should now enter, which is we're talking about young players. I think they deserve a lot more praise than they're getting in the sense that um, people are looking at draws. But draws with uh, the commentary game, as an example, there was a graphic on Sky Sports before the game that I read, that I sent mm-hmm. out. And I think uh, it was eight first-team players out injured. If you take eight first-team players out of pretty much any club, even up to Premier <coughs> League level, you take eight players out, that's a massive amount of talent being taken out of the squad. Um, and okay, Premier League clubs have depth to somewhat cover for it, but at our level, that's, you know, impossible. Um, and the young players are coming in and actually still getting draws at League Two professional football when, like Jonathan said, less than 20 games, perhaps. I'm not sure the stats on Wes Van Gogh. Harry Taylor came in last season and did really well. Will, you've probably seen the most of all these young players. Um, have they coped well or are they being covered by the more senior professionals? Not at all. I think they've coped really well, um, and I think you're right that they're not getting the praise they deserve. I think that I think that a lot of it comes from kind of fear, where fans see the team sort of dropping down the league, and obviously, you know, everyone's afraid of the the dreaded R word of re- relegation. So suddenly, people get very critical, and they they start to focus on results and not necessarily on performances. And I think that yeah, of course, there have been games where we deserve to lose, but all things considered with the number of youngsters that are involved I think they've acquitted themselves really well and I keep banging on about it but the football they've played for 
an awful lot of this season has been absolutely fantastic to watch you know and I, ju I, I just think that considering the injuries considering how many young players there are I, I think the whole team really should be commended for a lot of the performances and I don't think they're, they're generally getting that that recognition at the moment I actually had it I think it was when just before the Wickham game and BBC London were coming to me for my preview to the game and they were saying about the poor run of form that we'd suddenly found ourselves in and talking about the injuries and everything like that and I also I, I generally had no other option in my mind to say we've got so many injuries but with the players that we have at our disposal and how well we're performing I wouldn't go as or I, I would say we're just about performing probably above expectations at the moment any other squad with this amount of injury do you say yeah fair enough they deserve to be where they are because they haven't got the players to cope with it we arguably are in the same boat but we are somehow almost getting wins or draws against some of the top teams in this league yeah it's a, a great point um Tom, do you have anything to add on that point before we move on to the commentary game? Yeah, I was just going to say um, the, the the Taylor brothers, for example, are guys that you'd probably expect to be integrated and, you know, would probably expect to be, you're not key necessarily, but quite important players. So they were already going to play quite a lot of games. The fact that you've had to, you know, then bring in Wes Fongook and uh, you've got other, uh, you know, quite young professionals uh, like people maybe don't take into account uh, like Dave Tatonda has played probably less than 50 games in his career at a senior level Shaq has been a lot of clubs but he hasn't he hasn't played a vast amount of games as the kind of main striker and you know I think it's those guys that are forgotten as well that it's not just the teenagers that there are some quite young professionals in there and all of a sudden before you know it you're looking at kind of six or seven players in the team and they've probably got less than you know less than a couple of hundred appearances between them so yeah I think just to kind of um, just to jump on the bandwagon what the other guys are saying we're probably actually doing better than uh, a lot of clubs would do in, in the circumstances we find ourselves I would agree it's that. also also Sorry, worth mentioning yeah. Ricardo Santos as well yeah he's only he's only 21 22 years old that's it and he, he was he was he was the captain the other week against Luton in yeah. the Checker Trade Trophy and he put in a proper captain's performance I mean that's a great point I think w one thing I will say on this um, hopefully to summarise it uh, if, if anybody wants to jump in after me just let me know but um, we have when you th when you forget the current um, environment if you like from the fans around the club at the moment in terms of the draws being disappointing and some last minute losses which are completely understandable they're hard to take the fact that we have so many young players coming through and performing so admirably in quite difficult circumstances leads me personally long term to view this as quite a positive thing. Um, I'm, I'm kind of interested in going to the commentary game because we'll end up talking about all the players um, anyway, but does anyone have anything they're bursting to say at this point? I would agree with that. It could be a very good thing in the long term provided we keep the players. Yeah, Good that's point. the, that's the <laughs> part, isn't it? If they do too well, we'll end up losing them before they become experienced players anyway. But, but that's not that's not necessarily a bad thing, though. I mean, in terms of, either. you know, you want to kind of create, a, in theory, create a conveyor belt where you're bringing these players through, you know, through the academy and then you're selling them on, getting sell-on clauses. And so then that way you can inject more money into the club and then, you know, it, it's cyclical. So, you know, even if we lose the players, just bringing them through, as long as we get a decent fee for them, is not a bad thing either. Valid point. I just keep I just keep on coming up with more examples of players that have played so well at such a young age. Even going back to that Luton game where Ricardo Santos was captain, Dwight Pascal played at right back. Mm. He's what six, 16 years old. 
and he yeah. didn't look out of place once. And it's phenomenal to think just how much you forget about these, how old these players are when they're putting in such mature performances. But with doing that, you always forget that they are susceptible to one or two mistakes at times. Yeah, and, and it should be much more forgivable than I fear it is by the uh, the live spectators. I'm going to move on to the commentary game. Um, in terms of the match itself, I'll, I'll um, throw to you, Will, I believe you saw this game. Jonathan, did you see this game? Yeah, I was there as well, yeah. Okay, I'll throw to both of you for your thoughts on the football in a second. For me, I saw this um, online through a completely legal and legitimate man- uh, manner. Um, and I wanted to say that I felt like with the injuries that we have it wasn't a great performance I think a lot of us are quite happy because it was a 0-0 draw to arrest a slump of I think defeats at that point Um, but it wasn't great because Coventry weren't great and we didn't beat them but obviously there are a lot of circumstances surrounding that like I've just said Um, do you agree with that Will or do you think I'm being harsh I'm probably being harsh I I think you're being a little harsh Um, I I think that that was probably the low point injury wise for us uh, if I'm right like I mean that was that, that was, was when the eight said, first team is out yeah that game yeah so I don't why I, I always think back to Martin Allen when he was in charge and I think like how would he have dealt with a crisis like this um, and I think what he probably have done would have been get everyone behind the ball and grind out a nil-nil draw and it wouldn't be pretty to watch but he'd get the point and he'd move on to the next game and I, I, I got a recollection of I think it might have been a couple of seasons ago when we had um, we played Morecambe Carlisle Stevenage all sort of in that middle of winter period and I think we had a couple of players that we had Sean Bow up front on his own for one or two of them and we just got nil-nil draws you know we kept it kept it tight at the back and that was it because that's all you can do with the personnel and I suppose a lot of fans might have been worried that Rossi as a, as a new manager would be a little bit too naive to approach a game in that way so I was quite I was quite pleased that we'd sorted the defence out which had been a you know, a cause for concern at times and just essentially ground out a result and not ground out in the sense that it was just completely you know just dross to watch where we just kicked the ball forward we still tried to play football it's just that we didn't have the personnel in attack to actually really create any chances but I still thought considering the circumstances it was a sensible way of approaching the game and it was a, a really good point Okay, um, I'm going to go to you in a second, Jonathan. Just say one thing there, because uh, Will's mentioned Jean-Louis, who I think everyone by now has gathered I really like. I thought he played really well. I was watching that game, and I thought he was doing a really good job up top. And I just saw pelters for him. And I just thought, I don't know what I've seen that's different, but I just saw someone who was working hard up top, and yes, hadn't been particularly lethal, um, but had done an excellent job up top. Jonathan, I'm going to let you give your summary of the of the game. Yeah, that Coventry game for me the whole priority of that game regardless of the fact that we were at home the whole priority of it was to get a clean sheet not to necessarily win the game just to stop a goal going in our in our net because commentary we wouldn't it was always going to be very unlikely we were going to score we were missing our first three choice strikers the only man we had up front was John Louis Apropro and as good as he is he's not a natural goal scorer he does all the dirty work for the other striker that he's partnered with and the that guy's the one who scores Chat Coulter as being the main example right now and that commentary they had at that time I don't know if it's still the case now but at that time they had only conceded four goals all season it was hugely unlikely we were going to score and it was mainly just trying to stop them scoring and if we can nick something then great but I wasn't overly surprised that we didn't score and I was massively thrilled that we got a nil-nil draw that was only our second clean sheet of the season as well that's a 
your stats here are amazing because we have notoriously never done any research for <laughs> any of these pods <laughs> so you're just putting us to shame right now but it's okay i'm sure we can recover somewhere else and pretend we know something else that you don't perhaps um okay so i think i feel we've touched on the football and i don't want to go into it too much because it was a nil nil draw and people who can talk about no-no draws for longer than five minutes need to find better hobbies um what i do find interesting around that game though is that the, the hive uh being shown on tv was updated um so again will i'm going to start with you um I, i've not been there yet to see the hive in its current glory um do you want to just explain the sort of maybe the feeling around the hive when these things were, were shown for the first time yeah there was a real positive feeling around the ground in general that day i thought partly because we'd done this ticket promotion um where we gave away a lot of you know free tickets and there's around four thousand in the crowd i think and it's you forget when you go and watch barnet week in week out what it, it sounds silly but what it feels like to go to watch a football game with a really big crowd there because it's, it's not you know the hive is, is rarely full and it's it does add a as a sense of sort of excitement to the whole whole event i think and um that coupled with the fact that we've done a few, you know, a few little renovations. There's the Barnet FC sign up on the above the east stand, isn't it? And I think that looks really smart that now they've added that kind of, I don't know, it gives the ground a bit of a bit of branding, a bit of character that it probably needed. Um, and then there's been the updates to the um, the bar as well. Grazioli's becoming the the legends bar, you know. And I, I mean, I quite liked Grazioli's as it was. Um, you know, I thought the decor was 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 good then and it, and it's probably fine now um you know i'm not i've got no i've got no objections to it but i really thought that the um it was the the main sort of sign inside the ground on the, the back of the east end that, that made the whole place look a lot better okay jonathan as a as someone you, you've said we quite a lot which is very commendable tom does that as well but as someone who's not primarily a barnet fan how did you feel about the changes uh i, I like them i like them I, I i think there was a a a, a temporary bar or something that was put up behind the south stand as well a bit of a marquee sort of thing yeah uh which brought quite a few people in but i think it was it, it to me it was a bit of a buzz around the hive pardon the pun um <laughs> i was waiting for will to say that will said there was a and then he never said buzz and i was just waiting for him to drop buzz <laughs> carry on <laughs> um i was quite pleased he didn't say it because i mean i could say it but, uh, but no yeah to me that it definitely felt there was a real positive atmosphere around the club which was a bit weird considering going into that game we've been on a bit of a poor run of form um to me i walking up to the stadium i got the same sort of feeling i got when i was about to commentate on the game against gateshead where we got promoted where there was so many people there. I think the fact that it was an international break, so there was no Premier League or Championship games on, that probably brought quite a few more people in. The fact that the game was on TV as well, I think that actually probably brought a lot more people in as well. Because, I don't know about you guys, but I am a bit weird, and I got a weird sense of excitement when I thought the fact I can record that game at home, and I can go back and watch it later, and maybe see myself on TV. And having known already what happened, I didn't watch it back, because it was... It was I'm not going to waste my time doing that. Draw. But, no, but I've got, I, I agree with you, Jonathan. It's, it's a real, there's something about having the sky cameras down there, which adds a sort of thrill to proceedings, isn't it? Being able to just go in at half time to the bar and, you know, sort of see the highlights going on when you're in there. I, I think it's, yeah, it's great. It, it does sort of elevate the occasion somewhat. It just doesn't happen very often at Barnet. And everyone, it's, it's quite unique for a club, for a club the size of Barnet. It's, it's quite a special occasion. So, I think that atmosphere as well, there was a weird sense of positivity around the place. That probably helped the performance for the players as well. So in summary, um, lovely day out. 
great atmosphere, just a shame about the actual performance. I think the performance was positive. It was just the, the game in itself was, you know, it's probably not the best advertisement for League Two football and Sky Sports and Barnet as well. I just watched the game highlights uh, on Y Scout whilst you were talking because I didn't have anything to add because I was in Scotland at the time. <laughs> Skyping um, off. Yeah. So the fact that in the chat you've just had, I watched the uh, inverted commas highlights tells you everything <laughs> you need to know. This is the kind of extended highlights that Y Scout has picked out for me. And um, Craig Ross made one good save. They had one which they flashed wide and uh, Fum had a chance for us and that really was it. The rest of it was not befitting of the word highlights. And I think, as Jonathan said, the kind of clean sheet was probably as much as anything in the circumstances. And I don't think, without getting too kind of carried away and romantic about it, I don't think you can um, overlook the fact this was the first time we've ever played Coventry and, you know, the relative size of them the relative size of us and us in our current state of having or at the time having no players those are the kind of games where you just want to be able to take something from and that will uh, that will more than suffice so it was kind of job done move on I think wasn't it Excellent. yeah g- going back to the performance on that game I, I think did you say earlier on that Apra Apra got a bit of a stick online or something yeah, like he did. that for his performance. I was, I was following online so I had twi- I had Twitter open on, on one monitor I, I run dual monitors because I'm a nerd I had Twitter open on one side and I was watching the game on the other and I just couldn't I couldn't see the parallels between what people were saying about him and his actual performance I thought he, he put a lot of pressure up top and the ball I remember I recall it sticking to him and then play mm. building from him and exactly what you said he has never been the guy who's on the end of it scoring he's the guy who brings players into it and for a game like that where one part of not conceding means keeping the ball if we're kind of playing it up to him and he's not losing it that to me is actually a very impressive feat well i actually remember the game fairly well and i i seem to remember at half half time everyone in the press was agreeing with me saying that barnett were the better side and john louis apro was always in the middle when he was causing the two center backs to them with coventry who i have to say looks pretty basic actually i don't know how they've only conceded four goals but they he, he was causing them, them a few problems. And Mauro Valete as well, I think he played just behind the striker a little bit further forward. And he he was making runs in beyond the Apra the, Pro and he was looking quite a bit of a threat. In the second half, though, Coventry obviously done something tactically to sort of isolate Apra Pro and he started to drift out wide and then you notice that there was no one in the middle and we were never really going to get anything. Coventry were much better in the second half. But the first half performance especially was really encouraging, not just from Apra Apra's point of view, but from the whole of Squad Barnet. They were brilliant. Excellent. You've, you've made uh, what I thought was a rather dull nil-nil sound really positive. So, well done there. I suppose it's my <laughs> job. <laughs> um, okay, I'm going to head on to the Mansfield game before Tom has a aneurysm or a seizure or something and, and tries to see me in the car park afterwards. So, Tom, <laughs> Mansfield game. I'm going to just let you say whatever you want to start with. Okay. Um... It was a good point on the whole, I think. Um, we were discussing this earlier, whether we're being kind of naturally trying to do Barnet down and saying, in saying it was a good point or whether actually we created a lot more than Mansfield and we could have nicked it. We could have nicked it. We created not a vast amount of clear-cut or one-on-one chances. We didn't really get in behind at all. I think there was one chance in the second half where Shaq went through, but apart from that, the kind of pressure mostly came from set pieces and balls into the box um, and it felt like one of those games where if we'd have had John he'd have probably got two or three because there were a lot of good deliveries but there was nobody gambling on them to get in there 
and I was impressed with Shaq. It's only the second time I've seen him in the in the person in the flesh, and uh, I thought that he worked very hard for the team. Actually, it was noticeable how quickly he would go and press the ball and how. Uh, how much he kind of worked for the team but sometimes to his detriment as well that he was prepared to drop deep and get involved in the build-up play whereas John doesn't really tend to do that he will just sort of he just very much leads the line and waits for the chances to arrive and usually takes them and sometimes he would have benefited perhaps from being a bit more selfish essentially um, but it's probably a sign of the kind of confidence that he's in the the, the the kind of rich vein of form he had before injury that he wants to come and get more involved on the ball and and, and and be part of the uh, of, of the build up. So yeah, on the whole, I think uh, it was a pretty encouraging display. And were it not for an outrageously poor decision on the free kick, we'd have nicked a one nil win, and that would have been just the tonic for everyone. I think um, as it was, I think there's certainly more a lot more positives than negatives. We very much restricted Mansfield. They I, I watched the chances back earlier and noted down, and you know they were all set pieces or. Um, kind of direct balls, you know, lumps forward. They were they were pretty direct Mansfield, and uh, they they didn't really have a clear cut chance. They had a couple of saves they forced Craig Ross into, but it was really nothing, nothing that stretched uh, that stretched him. And uh, they were quite happy to sit on that one 0 lead and just soak up the pressure. They they sat very deep in the second half. Their midfield there was you know it was two very deep banks of four and it was hard to play through hence we end up going wide so often slinging the ball in um, but they you know they were more than happy to sit on that one nil and just defend that so I think it was credit to us that we just kept going and going and going and and forced uh, and, and forced that equaliser and at that point I thought there was only probably going to be one team that was going to win it and that would that would have been us so on the whole I think uh, pretty encouraging, especially given that let's not forget Mansfield were one of the favourites for the title this season. They got very good managers, Steve Evans. They got some very good players, and granted they're only kind of eighth or something, but you only need to be in touch with the playoffs, uh, you know, until the kind of real run in to to potentially do something. So they'll be there or thereabouts. Make no mistake, uh, however limited they might have looked last night. So yeah, I think a, a lot of positives for me. Uh, another positive. So again, I didn't see this game. <laughs> um, you've just said that Barnett made Mansfield look uh, limited. In the first half, I thought that Man- uh, Barnett made um, Coventry look limited. That's two performances where we've made the opposition, who by all accounts are actually of some quality, look limited. That's a positive. Um, Will, your thoughts on the game? Yeah, it's a good good summary from Tom, really. I'm like, it's a It's a... <laughs> It's a funny game. It's one of those games that has sort of left me questioning whether I even know what determines a good performance or not because I can't quite decide. I can't quite decide if it was a a winning performance or one that deserved the point. We certainly didn't deserve to lose. But on the on the one hand, you know, we were all over them in terms of possession and territory. We played some nice stuff. We passed it around nicely, um, and you know, Mansfield just kind of sat back and didn't really do anything for most of the games. Most of the game. But on the other hand. If you actually look at clear chances, like you know, real shots on goal from good positions, both teams probably had a similar number. And like at the end of the day, if you're coming away from home and you're Mansfield and you can sit back and soak up you know, all that Barnet possession and pressure and every time the ball comes into the box, just clear it away constantly, that's also the sign of a good performance and especially in a good away performance. And I, so I kind of, I'm left thinking at the end of it, well, 
I know which team I'd rather have been watching, uh, but but maybe a draw was a fair result because they both performed admirably in different ways and also had flaws in different ways, if that makes sense. That makes loads of sense. Um, if Matt Bird wasn't... Sorry, 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 sorry. I was just different again with this. Go on then, go on then. <laughs> if Mansfield won that and you were a Mansfield supporter on the coach on the way home, you'd have said, great away performance. They barely had a sniff. They had a lot of ball, but didn't actually make a vast amount. We got our goal and we looked solid from there. You know, sign of a good team kind of win uh, away from home. And I think I think that's probably a good indicator of the kind of performance overall. It was a bit of a... It was quite an, e- it was quite an even game and it could have gone either way. The fact that we stopped it from hinging on the bit of fortune they had with the goal is to our credit um, it's funny you say that I want to open up Stath's philosophy football corner again just very briefly um, I think that sometimes it's when you talk to fa- the opposition fans and you find sensible fans just to find any old idiot but two sensible fans on either side and they can have very contrasting views of how a game went and Tom you've just given a great example of that so Will you've just said how you thought and, and Tom you said as well actually that you thought it was a positive performance from us we limited them and so on and so forth um, and Tom you've just put in a counterpoint that there was a Mansfield, they could have been a Mansfield town, uh, town fan who had come away from that game and thought that they'd played well and they'd limited us. So I think that it's interesting that we, we must respect that actually there are two perspectives to these games. We obviously only show it one. Um, but, but it is interesting because that's something that when I come away from a game, I always try to think of. I try to think, how do the other team feel about this game? Um, and it's something that I think we could all benefit from as football fans if we took just a second to think how did the other team feel about that for example we're patting ourselves on the back for limiting Coventry in the first half I think any Coventry fan would actually just be quite upset that in the first half they performed really poorly um, Jonathan did you have any players you thought came out and, and did quite well in that game players uh, yeah Maro Valete it was great to have him back and playing on the right wing back position as well which I think a lot of fans think he's moulded for he was superb I thought um, the defence looked a lot better than it did against Notts County on the weekend as well I know we switched it went back to um, five at the back or three at the back of you want to say it uh, I thought Ricardo Santos was a rock as well um, Tutondo was decent going forward Jack Taylor for me he he's a funny one now Jack Taylor we all know he's a very good player but I've started to notice it in the past few games. He's started to be targeted, as in teams are doing their homework on him now. They know he's the t- he's the playmaker in our side. They know he's the man who's going to make us tick. He's the gonna he's the one that's really going to drive us forward up the pitch and play some good football. He's now being closed down at every opportunity he get they get. Whenever he's on the ball, he's being met by some one or two players right in his face, and he done terrifically well on a number of occasions last night to wriggle away from intense pressure and to somehow create space for himself to play a few passes around he was uh, top notch for me as well last night uh, in a word Jonathan do you think that given that he's now been sort of discovered by the teams you would say he's he's broken out this season I think he broke out last season oh wrong answer yeah. no move on move on <laughs> <laughs> I thought I thought he I thought it was his breakthrough season last season we all discovered what a great talent he is I think this season's now it's another chapter for him He's now learning a new side of the game where players now know he's a threat. Now they, he's got to work. He's now got to find out a way to bring his talent to the game under more pressure and less time on the ball. I rem- it's going to come up once or twice. I'm not actually a Barnet fan. 
I'm a Sunderland fan for my sins. And uh, I remember a good few years ago, Martin O'Neill, who was in charge of Sunderland, he brought in a player. Uh, it was actually signed by Steve Bruce, who had never played, but Martin O'Neill brought him into the side. James McLean, he came into the Sunderland side, and it was a bit of a revelation. No one knew who this kid was, and he was all of a sudden our star man. He was the one getting us goals. He was the one getting us all the assists. And then after a few weeks, players found him out, and they managed to double mark him and knew that's how you keep him out of the game and he's he's struggled to really progress ever since Jack Taylor's now learning that side of the game everyone knows his strengths they're now trying to counteract that but he seems to be coming through and still performing at a high standard and like I said before you forget how old players are he's 19 yeah um I loved that should the the hesitation and fear in your voice when you said you're a Sunderland fan. <laughs> that was my main <laughs> takeaway from what you just said there. Um, Tom, did any players stick out for you? Yeah, I thought that back five were really good. Um, I thought Nelson looked. Um, I thought Nelson kind of uh, he was missing at the beginning of the season when I saw some games, and uh, as a three with him in the middle, I, li- I liked that because he's not the most mobile. We know that, but with Santos and Clough either side of him, they're sort of. Uh, you know they were able to kind of tidy up for him where needed um, and and he was the kind of stopper in the middle so I liked that a lot I thought Santos as Jonathan Riley said was very good and he was an attacking outlet by the, he was almost playing sort of right wing back by the end because he was just bombing on down that right side and he probably put the best ball of the night in towards the end uh, it's just a shame as sort of said no one gambled on it but he um, he's so big that once he gets going no one wants to stop him essentially no one can stop him and uh no, I thought he was good on both sides of the ball. And I thought the wing-backs were really good as well. I mentioned Marrow and, and, and David Tutonda, who kind of signed us, you know, to give Elliot a run for his money at left-back. And has actually turned into a really good uh, left wing-back. And I think we saw his kind of natural athleticism last night. He's quite a hard man to stop when he gets running. He took people on. And, uh, you know, as I say, if John had been in the middle and he'd have kind of taken up the positions that he takes up, uh, I think you'd have been talking about probably Mauro and, and Tatonda getting getting some assists probably between them because some of the balls they put in were into really, really good areas, that kind of cliched corridor of uncertainty, but there was just no one there to to take advantage. So I thought they were really good. And I think um, a word too for, for Wes Fongook. He's someone I've never seen like a standout kind of eureka moment of like, that's what that kid's about. Uh, he was neat and tidy but I've never really seen it and um, he's gone away on loan I don't think he's really torn up any trees and Will and I were talking about this yesterday and saying well he's a holding midfielder so it's kind of hard to go away and turn up territories if you're a defender and suddenly they stop leaking goals you've done your job and if you're a striker and they start scoring goals you've done your job but um, for a holding midfielder it's not a very sexy position basically is it um, but he last night I thought he was really really good he isn't a ball winning midfielder in the sense of he like maybe like N'Golo Kante he goes out and uh, nicks the ball off people he doesn't necessarily do that but he sits and he holds his position and he's aware of the space and he's aware of where he reads the game well essentially and the amount of times where he just sort of nicked the ball and then just played it played it off played it square whatever simple passes but he did it so well and he just screened and gave us a bit of protection I was really impressed with him I thought it was a mature performance I think that's the word I'd really kind of emphasise it was mature and he would have probably been very close to Mauro for me for man the match and and Mauro you know how many times we said it, it like every every time he plays well it's almost like it's the first time we've seen it and yet it isn't you know and he's done it in so many positions now he's just 
he's a freak of nature really the kind of energy and the tenacity and the, the amount of headers he wins for a bloke that's his size he puts far bigger players to shame so I thought he was uh, he was superb as well I think Wes, Wesley von Guck, I think he's such a sensible player Yeah. in the fact that he, he wins the ball back he's so good at intercepting he as you say, holding his position, he's so steady. In, in those situations, it's quite easy to, you know what, sod this, I'm going to charge you, I'm going to close you down. He's very wise, yeah. as you say, mature. And when he wins the ball back, he knows he's not got the vision of Jack Taylor or Ruben Bovra who can spot a pass and switch it to the other side like Steven Gerrard. He knows what his role is, win the ball back, give it to Jack Taylor. If he's not on, spread it wide. It's as yeah. simple as that. And it's, I think those simple instructions for such a young player make his game a lot easier as well interesting you say that um, Will I'll, I'll leave it to you as well anything any individual performances that stuck out from you from last night yeah yeah a lot of it's um, probably mirroring what, what Tom said to be honest um, I thought that Wesley Fonga was good I think there's an element of inconsistency to his game I always feel like um, one week I watch him I think he's very good and then the next week I watch him and I'm, I don't think he's you know, quite to the same level but I suppose that's inevitable for a player his age and playing such a physical position as well you know it's it's a position you tend to associate with experienced players isn't it the kind of tom champion or sam togwell you know so i thought he did very well um wingbacks was the big thing i just thought i've said for a while that i really think mauro valetti is perfect for the right wingback role and as and as yet it's generally been jack taylor that's played there um Harry and taylor, i think no. sorry harry taylor um, and I, Corrected I think Will that, Evans, this is like a highlight for me. <laughs> Carry on. <laughs> um, and I, I think Harry Taylor's pretty good as a fullback, but I'm not so convinced by him as a wingback, just in terms of like stamina and energy, getting up and down the pitch. And also, he, he in, instinctively doesn't seem like such an attacking player to me, whereas Valetti's got that. And suddenly when you had Valetti on one side and Tatonda on the other, you know, that, that we look really dangerous down, down both flanks. Um, it's such a shame, really, we don't have two Valettis and two Tatondas because it'd be lovely to play Tatonda at centre-back and at wing-back. And the same with Valetti. You know, you want him at right wing-back, but also he's been really good in the central midfield as well. So, yeah, both of them were excellent. The back, the centre-backs are always good. You know, Clough and Santos have been fantastic all season, I think. Um, yeah, the, the one thing I just wanted to mention, because um, Tom pointed out a couple of times so far, you, you mentioned if John Akindi had been, had been playing, you know, and I think that's something that's quite significant because... If he'd been playing this whole season, I would say that the vast majority of the games where we have come away with a loss, we would have got something from that match. And I think that that one, I know it, obviously we all know how important a player he is, but I don't think we can underestimate how if he'd just been involved, I, I think potentially we could be a team that's pushing for the playoffs rather than looking downwards at the moment. I mean, that doesn't even touch on the fact that we went and signed Dave Tarpey and basically had nothing out of him yet, not through any fault of his own, but just what an odd set of circumstances that is. And, and that how typically Barnet in many ways. Um, I'm, I very rarely speak directly to the listener, but listener, at this point, I'm going to let Tom talk about Shaquille Cawthurst. And just at this point, I don't know, if you find um, romantic comedies, sonnets, love poems if you find those sorts of things sickening you may just want to skip ahead a little bit um tom talk about the shack attack <laughs> i don't know what you're setting me up for him <laughs> i like him I, I don't you know i don't feel the same way about him as as i do um i'm trying to think of a bonnet player the uh, graham stack or I've made, I've, so, i feel like i've forced you into a backtrack here but just just let it out buddy just let it out <laughs> 
Ian, but I don't feel the same way about Shaq as I do about any of those guys. Okay. But um, no, he's a good player, isn't he? I think the first time I saw him in the flesh, for Bar- I've seen him play against Barnet, but uh, for Barnet was the um, FC Wimbledon game, and I think our uh, our cutting edge analysis kind of amounted to he falls over a lot. Um, I recommend he change studs. Just want to put that. Yeah, up whatever it is, and. I, it's unlikely to mean that he just had the wrong footwear on. That's what but I what, tell myself before I sleep at night, and it's worked. So. <laughs> whatever he's done, it's worked. And uh, we were um, we we're talking in kind of quite, uh, you know, we we're sort of having a laugh with it last night. But we're essentially saying it's gone right for him for whatever reason. It's started going right for him, and because it's gone right for him, it's gone. It's continued to go right for him, and it's such a kind of it's one of those kind of cliched sort of things that. Once one goes in off, you know, goes in off the proverbial backside, not that he's had a goal like that, he scored some very good goals actually. You kind of get that confidence to try different things and it just it just happens, it becomes more loose and kind of free and he seems to really have, have benefited from that. And I think he's probably benefited as well, to be honest, from from playing week in, week out, which he's not really done uh to the best of my knowledge at any at any point in his career, he's not really been the number nine, the main man for a team he's kind of been in and out and what have you I've just you know I pulled up his career stats earlier and he kind of um, he's had a lot of loan spells obviously he's only young he's only 22 I think you know the fact that he's had one, two, three, four, five, six loan spells six or seven loan spells people kind of forget that he's actually only 22 and in his career he's made 70 starts in the league 76 starts in the league and 33 sub appearances so he's been in and out of the team whatever he's done and yet he's still got 25 goals which is a pretty reasonable uh, return you would you would say and I think you know this is the first time where he has been um, kind of nailed on start for a while and, it's, and it is only because John's injured because I don't know if we'd necessarily have played them together up front uh, if, if John was fit but he's he's uh, he's really reaping the rewards of it and last night I thought he was good and as I said earlier without trying to without repeating myself too much he worked hard for the team and sometimes he possibly worked worked too um, too hard for the team but he got his. He got the goal his performance probably deserved by being in the right place at the right time. And if he'd have been there more often, he might have. Uh, he might even have pinched a winner for us. Okay. It's um, interesting what you're saying about sometimes you just need something to go in off your backside or something like that. Because the last time you guys did a podcast, I listened to it. It was right after the Wimbledon game, wasn't it, in the Checker Trade Trophy? Yes. And the game before that, I'm pretty sure was Stevenage at home, and he missed two really good chances in that game to score. And in all the games to score, that was it. And a lot of people came away from that game saying, he's the next Sean Bat. He's never going to score for us. Um, and then the very next game after the Wimbledon game was Swindon away, where yeah. he scored a hat-trick. But the very first goal, I don't know if you've seen the highlights, the very first goal in that game was literally a long ball forward from Craig Ross. And their goalkeeper and their defender were both leaving it for each other. And his hard work, his endeavour, just chasing down the ball. He had no right to get it. He if the goalkeeper or defender were anywhere alive to the danger, they would have picked it up or booed it out. But he somehow strolled in, took it round and both and put it into an empty net. That was a goal, scruffy, not pretty. It was just his hard work got the goal. And then from then on, the next goal he got was a bit of luck probably. He just found himself with the freedom of the city on the edge of the area all the time in the world to think about it and put the ball in the back of the net. And if you watch back the highlights, which I really urge you to do, the extended highlights show it in the full. The third goal, my word, that's a proper goal of the season contender. He had no right to keep the ball. 
You had no right to keep it. He took on about three or four players. Every time he took them on, he looked like he was about to lose it, kept hold of it, and then bent one in with his weaker left foot into the bottom corner of the net from for a crowded penalty area. I have no idea how he squeezed that one in, but it is within one game it shows how confidence can grow from scoring a goal that you had, was a really scruffy goal, easy tapping, as strikers all like, to then bending in an absolute beauty towards the end of the game. You're you're so right. I'd completely you, you, understandably, I'm sure. You you think of the hat trick goal in that game because it's just excellent. I'd completely forgotten that the first goal was yeah it was you know it was no little luck. And this kind of goes back to what Stathy was saying. He made his own luck there by working hard. Uh, a lesser player would have just gone now nah, I'm, I'm all right and sacked that off. But he went he went the full distance, closed them down, and then he got lucky because they screwed up and and he took advantage of it. And as you say. It's kind of changed his fortunes in, in one game, hasn't it? Because he gets a hat trick in that game, and he's player of the month for uh, for September all of a sudden. And then, and then when he gets injured, it's oh god, what are we going to do without Shaq, who a few weeks ago was, as you say, being kind of chastised as the new Sean Bat. So it's uh, it doesn't take much in football, does it? I also have to say, he huge scored credit a Wimbledon game as well, by the way, which gets forgotten. Yes, yes, yeah, that that probably gave him a bit of a confidence boost. I think that might have been the only reason he actually played in that game was to get a goal, get confidence, and then we can see where you go from there. As Rossi keeps on saying, he, he wasn't fully fit through the first month of the season as well. We hadn't had a pre-season under his belt. But I have to give huge credit to Rossi Eames as well for actually, while he was injured, he was injured for a tight hamstring, which he picked up in the first few minutes in the game away at Wickham a little while ago. We lost it 3-1. But he was taken off at half-time as a precaution because had he carried on, the injury would have just got worse and he would have been out for longer and longer. And I think in overall, he's only missed a few games where had he carried on playing that game where we were so desperate we needed him, we could have been missing him for a month or two. It could have been the same situation as John Akinde. And without him in the side, we could be sat in the same situation we were where we were placing Coventry, where the best we were hoping for was a clean sheet. Top management from a top manager. And I'm not having anyone else say otherwise. Um, Mansfield going, going, gone. Anyone want to... Add anything? Just not necessarily about the Mansfield game, but just about talking about Shaq Coulthurst. Like the abuse that you know he was certainly where I was watching watching the game from the Stevenage game. The abuse he was getting was absolutely ridiculous. And it does show just how fickle fans are. I do. It's a, I guess it's a little rant for me, really, because I don't understand like whether it's abusing the management, the players on you know, on social media when the performances are going wrong, or in the crowd as well. Like. I'd just be fascinated to get an insight as to what the fans that do this think they're achieving because from what I can see, all it does is demoralise people uh, and kind of creates a negative atmosphere around the ground rather than actually trying to encourage the players. And I just can't... It's something that's particularly infuriated me this season, I think, because I just think it's so... When they're working so hard, to, you know, to they're doing their best, essentially. Like I just think it's such a pointless way of going about things to just get on their backs every two minutes. First of all, I'd love a Will Evans rant corner every time we do one of these. Second thing, um, 100% agree with you. So I was a Barnet fan before I worked at the club. And one of the main things that I've always disliked, uh, to be as, as strong as that, really disliked that we seem to have a very um, vocal majority of fans who are happy to start slagging players off on next to no evidence. Um, it, it's It's... I don't. I don't know any other club that has such um, 
well, a moany fan base is, is one way I'd say it. And I know I really shouldn't be having to go at fans because they're the people who listen to us and the people who interact with us. And it's, it's really cool having that interaction, having a podcast where we talk about football club and having people sort of talk to us. But it, I just find on match days, it, for me, it ruins the experience. And that's why one of the reasons why I should say, I'm not going to put it all on this, but one of the reasons why I don't find myself um, doing everything I can to get to games because ultimately I'll get to a game and I will probably spend... 25% of that game being frustrated by someone nearby saying something that I think is completely unnecessary. Um, I don't think I should, I might as well open up. Tom or Jonathan, do either of you have a point to add at that point? Uh, yes. Yeah. Crit- <laughs> Criticism of players, I never have understood. I understand you're frustrated. Sometimes a pass goes amiss and you're, you know, you stand up and you hurl abuse. That's out of pure frustration. I don't get the criticism of the players uh, that have obviously put their everything, blood, sweat and tears into a whole game and you've lost it by one goal and you come away from that game saying you're crap or anything like that. I just don't get that. The criticism of Rossi as well. Some fans have stood up and said X, Y, Z about him being a former gymnast or anything like that. What good is that going to do? Seriously, what good is it? The guy's been at the club for seven years, worked his way up through the ranks. He's obviously earned his chance. He probably, out of anybody around at the moment, knows the club better than anybody else. So he's probably in the best position to say what happens. He's probably the best person we could have at the manager in at this moment in time. He's 32 years old. That's a real young age to be a manager. Just like the young players making mistakes out on the pitch, he's a young manager. He's still learning his trade in the technical area, he might mistake, make mistakes, as he's already owned up to as well, saying it's a learning curve for him sometimes after games. Um, it sounds Every fan hates hearing it, but you just have to give these players and this manager a little bit of time and results will follow, especially when it gets these players back from injury. I don't think I've known anybody to have such an introduction to management being so unlucky with injuries as well. Completely agree. He's handled it so well. Tom, I'll give you the final word on, uh, on this, this subject. Yeah, it's going to be more than the word, I'm afraid, Staffy. Um, yeah. <laughs> I'm used to it. <laughs> Jonathan absolutely smashed it out of part there, to be honest. He's completely right in every word he said, even his use of the word and and so on was just, you know, perfect. <laughs> um, no, seriously, uh, with Rossi, I think um, I think it's cl- he's clearly someone who wanted to be a manager because presumably he had the chance to say no to this, this job either by... Uh, you know, be, when the chairman offered it to him, saying no or not throwing his hat in the ring, so he clearly wants to be a manager. And if those opportunities don't come along at Barnet, then he starts putting his uh, hat in the ring for jobs elsewhere, presumably. And then all of a sudden, you've lost a talented coach to another club. So sometimes you have to say, uh, "Let's look at the bigger picture." He's a talented coach. Everybody, you know, and it's hard for us to kind of say that with authority and conviction because obviously. Um, contrary to popular opinion I don't actually go and stalk his every movement and I don't speak to him every day and I don't <laughs> you know what I mean I don't I, I, I don't have that uh, insight that I might be able to pretend to at least offer if I still work to the club however the people I speak to who are under no obligation to say he is a good a really good coach say it and uh, he is well. He is very well thought of and has been for a long time, and that includes people like Martin Allen, who I don't think is unreasonable to say always thought very highly of Rossi, and that's someone who we would all agree is an experienced coach and knows what he's doing. Might not like his methods and what have you, but he knows what he's doing and has had success. So, 
you know sometimes you have to kind of bite the bullet and say let's give this guy uh let's give this guy a chance and i think were it not for the injuries as we've said we'd be looking at a completely different um scenario but so kind of um the the the, the demand for results and the demand for uh, perfection is so instantaneous that it doesn't allow for an injury crisis where you lose basically the spine of your team overnight. And but that is real life and that is management. You have to kind of find a way to get by, and you know that's what we're trying to that's what we're trying to do now. And I think results and performances like last night go a long way to um, to sort of plugging that gap in the in in the meantime. Um, uh, what I was also going to add. Uh, was that I'm trying to think of it, I'm trying to think of an articulate way to say it without just rambling on and saying that Rossi's excellent. I think <laughs> um, I, I think what John's also said about you know him learning at the same time is is absolutely right. I'm sure he'd be the first to admit that he has uh, he has made mistakes, but you know all managers were young once, and he comes with the added advantage as Jonathan again right said was. That he knows the club inside out. He's coached at kind of every age group. He's coached these players wherever. And there's a growing kind of trend of appointing from within. And I think there's a reason for that because the the demand for success and results is so instant that bringing someone in, you're, you've automatically got that kind of bed. If you bring someone, a coach in from elsewhere, you've automatically got kind of a bedding in period. So if you can eradicate that, then that's uh, that's an advantage. And I think that was the good thing about bringing Rossi in. That he, you know, even though this is his first time proper uh, permanent charge, he had at least managed the team before last season. So I think it's just the case of being patient. And my final, final point on this stream of consciousness is something that Will and I discussed last night, which is to say, quite often, whoever you support, you say, I don't mind losing if we have a go and we play nice football. And it's a philosophical kind of debate now we are playing nice football and having a go and results aren't always going for us at the moment. If Martin Allen were still in charge, we'd be having a go. Of course we would. That's the bare minimum. That's the expectation. But the football wouldn't have been as attractive and there's no guarantee we'd have been getting the results. So which way do you want it? Because at this level, you can't you can't have both because both costs a lot of money and money that we don't have to spend. And personally, I think... If we can ride out this period and be comfortably clear of the relegation zone, which I'm sure we will be, and get our players back, get the our players. These are all our players. That was dumb. Um, if we can get <laughs> the players that are missing back, then it will be a completely different ball game. And at the moment, I just think that kind of colours everything so much that you can't make a proper judgment on things. I think the uh, job of being a football manager is a thankless task. Uh, you're never, ever going to please everybody. I even remember last season, the beginning of the season, we actually started quite well. I'm sure that's how it happened. When Martin Allen was in charge, we were, we were getting results, but still there was a section of fans that were unhappy because we were playing unattractive football. They were saying, we don't want to see long, long ball every week. I'm sorry, you're in League Two. You're, you're going to see that most weeks, no matter who's in charge whether it's for or against the team you're supporting. But yeah. you get rid of Martin Allen left on his own accord and we tried getting in Kevin Nugent who tried to pass it around a little bit as well and then results took a real nosedive and everyone's thinking, can we please have Martin Allen back? We're now starting to find a balance as well. I'm sure Rossi said it before where he's he's not actually set on one style of football. If we try, we try and go through him first of all, if we can't do that, go wide. If you can't do that, then we'll go along. So he's, he's adaptable. He can 
you can adapt to each situation. You just need certain players to play in a certain way as well. If you're going to go long, you, there's no point having Shaq Colthurst up front because he's not tall enough. You need John Akinde or something like that. So at the moment, he is still relatively limited as to what he can do. That's a valid point. Um, I, 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 I want to move on, but I will just say on that, I think I obviously am a huge fan of Rossi's, as I've said every other time, and we've all agreed every other time. Um, but I do think that his the way he's managed his way through an injury crisis with a young squad, given that he doesn't actually have that much football management experience himself, you know, as in, in terms of years, um, says a lot about his potential and his ability. Um, I'm going to move on just because I think we've we've covered this topic and we, we kind of cover it every, every time we do one of these. Yes, um, <laughs> um, I want to move on to a, a, another potentially sort of negative question before we look towards finishing up. Um, Nichols, Sweeney and Watson. Um, does anyone want to, to continue this, take this on any further? Yeah, I'm, I'm happy to. Um, Go on then, Bob. I know that there's been a bit of a, uh, a brief kind of clamour online for these three to to get involved again. Obviously, Sweeney's now gone on, out on loan to Hamden and Richmond. Uh, I think that the opinion of some some supporters was that, you know, we've got this injury crisis. We've got, you know, a couple of players there who are senior professionals. When we've got a bench full of full of youngsters, why don't we, you know, bulk that out a bit by bring, you know, reintegrating them back into the first team fold? Um I don't really want to sort of get into being being critical of players, but but my my take on it is that neither of them are better than the youngster equivalent in their position. And with that in mind, it's better to try and bring through someone from the academy who you know, could go on to have potential to you know play for the club, potentially be sold on in the future, than to give minutes to players that probably aren't in you know the manager's first team plans i mean like a good example is watson like the watson equivalent is probably wesley fongook well i think that fongook's a better player than watson is so why not give him the experience and same you've got nichols out wide well i'd rather see showmerton or mason clark you know that get a, get some game time than than nichols so i can see where some supporters are coming from in terms of wanting sort of more experienced players involved but i don't think that's the right approach I think I assume that Rossi's on the same page because they haven't as yet been been reintegrated Will only you could take such a point and make it sound so positive <laughs> it's an incredible ability you have um, <laughs> Tom or Jonathan do you have anything you want to add on this topic uh, yeah at the risk of sounding very critical which I'm not intending to do but I've never really quite understood what type of player Ryan Watson is as to the fact that what type of midfielder is he? We played him central midfield the whole time he's been out here. He's not a playmaker. Jack Taylor's a lot better than him in the playmaker role. He's not got the stamina to be a box-to-box midfielder. He's not a defensive midfielder. I don't actually see what he brings to the side. I understand what people, you know, they're calling for him to be back or come into the side just so we can help us through a, an injury crisis. But they've been out of the side for so long now, you question how fit they would be and are they really going to help us along? Uh, just exactly what Will said. There's probably youngsters in the squad who are at the same standard or if not better at them than them that could benefit in much more in the long run from that valuable game time. Valid point. And uh, I think we've... I think it's... 
Well, what's up by both of you, and I think there's not much more point in dwelling on this, to be honest, in either a footballing perspective or an intellectual one. Um, I'm going to finish off with some questions. So, Tom and Will, you both tweet, both, both, you both tweeted out before we went uh, to record this um, to ask you any questions. So, we have one question from Sam Collins, who is at 1SamC on uh, Twitter, and he said he'd like us to cover the brand Barnet Football Club ownership and future growth of the club tom do you have any anything you want to say on this that's probably a podcast in itself isn't it it really is <laughs> it's probably not a specific question i suppose no i suppose it is it's you know how do, how do we kind of what direction do we see it um taking and i think in a football sense at the very least there's there is a bit of a brand now that we're trying to promote those youngsters and you know we've talked for a long time about the academy and that we have great facilities and you know young players should come here because they will get the coaching and they will have the facilities and they will get their chances and I think we're seeing the kind of fruition of that now with um, Rossi and obviously Rossi himself kind of um, is, a, is a bit of a poster boy for that I guess in that you know he came to the club as a part-time assistant under 13 coach and he's now in the in the in the uh, is the, in the first team manager's role, so I think that is quite good, and I think uh, that can be a very progressive thing for us in terms of getting young, talented young players who just need game time to come in. Uh, so I think I think that's good in terms of the brand on the field. In terms of the brand, kind of um, off the field, I think you know everything comes back to being a winning football team, doesn't it? Um, you know, you don't really talk about successful brands that aren't in football and sport in general that aren't winning. So I think that is, you know, that is imperative. And uh, we've kind of done to death the reasons why results aren't necessarily um, going our way. Um, and I think, you know, in terms of kind of the growth of the club as a whole going forward, everything is set up to succeed in the you know i'm sure fans don't particularly want to hear this but it you know as a neutral i do feel it is it's true and it's not that i've just been brainwashed by working at the hive but um you know it, it is a good facility and you have non-match day income which is a big battle for all clubs but especially smaller clubs and that's very positive and you know all those things kind of if that money can be put into the team and creating a winning team then you've got a kind of 360 degree operation and uh you know that's clearly what the the club are striving for i would i would presume based on you know how it's uh how things are, are kind of structured and um you know the, the 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 what 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 the club do uh on and off the field so i think it's um i think it's easy to kind of look at the look at everything in a negative light at the moment because everything you know and you guys know as well from working at the club and being around the club that the results kind of govern everything. And, you know, if it's a win on a Saturday, everything's hunky-dory. If it's a defeat, it's disappointing. But if you can, the, the the results on the field are kind of the last piece of the puzzle, I think, in a way. And then, you know, successful teams bring bigger crowds and bigger crowds help back the team. And then I think everything ties into into, into, into the next thing. So... You know, uh, hopefully uh, the injuries the injuries clear up, the results follow, and uh, you know, in a, in a month's time, we're talking about the you know being uh, pushing towards that top half of the table, really. Okay, okay. Um, uh, Will for you? Yeah, Tom's 
Tom said it really well, to be honest, so I'll keep it pretty brief. I, I agree with all that. I think that there is actually a clear plan going forward. Back in back when Mark Robson was appointed, um, you know, there was this talk of trying to make Barnet the crew Alexandra of the South. Um, and I think that that vision's actually always remained. It's just that because of the situation we got ourselves into with, you know, relegation and so forth, we had to sort of pause it for a little bit while we got Martin Allen in to kind of get us you know, out of trouble, back out of the conference into the Football League and kind of stabilise us there. But, you know, it's, it's a question of bringing players through the academy. Um, it seems now there's a, there's a focus on maybe, you know, trying to sign sign players as well who are young, who can we can add value to them, maybe come from non-league as well. Um, and then supplement that with off-the-pitch revenue, which is the big sort of the big thing with the hive isn't it you know whether it's whether it's pecking order or whether it's renting out the the pitches to film things on you know that's a massive potentially a massive source of income so i think that the final piece of the puzzle is is probably attendances i think i mean the, the football as you say has a big impact impact on that but it's just getting getting people through the door which has always been a, i mean that's been a challenge at barnet since I've been a fan since my granddad's been a fan you know like it's always been really tricky to get crowds in whether we're in Barnet whether we're at the Hive because you're sandwiched by you know Arsenal Spurs you've got all the other London clubs and now you've got the challenge of Sky TV and you're a lot of youngsters who don't go and watch live football so I think that's going to be the sort of the, the ongoing thing that's going to be a challenge for the club but everything else seems in pretty good shape to me I'd say Okay, excellent. Um, for me on this question, it's a big no comment. <laughs> uh, my role at the Hive is more operational than both of yours, so I'm going to stay out of this one. Um, another question from Paddy on Twitter. Um, and again, I, actually, I'll go to you first again, Will, just to mix up the order a little bit. He asks, how long do you give it before Tony sacks Rossi? Don't think he should personally. So good question in the sense that I agree with his sentiment. Um, what do you think of the actual question? Um I don't think he will. I, I, I think um, I think he's probably got a good understanding of how difficult this injury crisis has been. Um, I, for me, I've always thought that I don't really think the chairman necessarily has sacked people until it's reached um, panic panic mode a lot of the time. You know, so when we had like that that spate of managers like sort of Mark Stimson, who they really did gets into trouble and then you know he was forced to act and get someone in it unless it reaches that stage where we've got all the players back from back to full fitness and for some reason you know we can't seem to get ourselves out of the bottom two or three well of course any chairman in his right mind is going to want to try and make sure they avoid relegation back to the conference but i just i don't see that happening once this this team is fully fit and i think that as long as that doesn't happen as long as we stay sort of mid-table and upwards I just think that the chairman will have faith in, in Rossi as he should do okay and uh, Tom yeah I think um, Will had a very important point actually when he said about the kind of the crew Alexandra of the South stuff that was meant to be the start of an actual blueprint rather than living a hand to mouth Martin Allen try something else Martin Allen try something else existence and we're back to that now we're finally back on enough of the kind of even keel that uh, there's, an, there's a blueprint there's a plan it is sign those young players, bring those players through the academy, coach well, get them playing nice football with a young coach that knows the club inside out and kind of uh, take it from there. And we had a big kind of debate about whether is there's a sacking culture or not. And I, I really, I don't think there is. You know, there's been a lot of managers, but <laughs> a lot of the time the changes have been instigated by the managers themselves, i.e. Martin Allen leaving, Edgar David's quitting, 
um, and so on and so forth. So I think there's a feeling now, there was a feeling certainly when I was at the club that when my left, this was the chance now to to uh, create that kind of new identity. And I think uh, if you're genuinely committed to that, then changing manager um, at this stage is, is, is ludicrous. And I think, I don't think that could be, you know, further from uh, further from the chairman's mind if I'm trying to second guess what he's thinking. Okay. Um, Jonathan, I didn't ask you either those questions because I felt like they might not have been your forte as someone who no. seems to only watch the games. But did you have anything you wanted to say on those? Yeah, the one about sacking Rossi, um, I think it's quite an unfair question, really. I think it's quite harsh to judge Rossi uh, at this stage in the season when he we've got so far in the season we still haven't had off a, a fully fit side to pick from um, and I think some of the performances yes some of them have been poor you're going to get games like that throughout the whole season no matter who what team you are um, but some of the performances with a team that's been bodged together through a load of youngsters and players playing out positions somehow we've very nearly played top teams off the park Exeter being one of them I, I, for 60 minutes of that game we we were the team that looked like we were top of the league we were the team that looked like we had been unbeaten the whole season um, and I think when you get those players that are out injured at the moment when you get them back and when they're fully fit you know after a month or two of them being back then you can start to judge you know John Akinde I think he's only about three weeks away from full fitness or returning back to the side give him another two three games to get his stride back and then then you can start to really judge Curtis Weston coming back to the side hopefully soon Richard Brindley as well around about Christmas time I think we're expecting so hopefully you can um, start a judge on how we are looking then um, and hopefully we'll be looking a lot better than what we are right now and I also like to say we are nowhere near the same situation that we were in with last season with Kevin Nugent that's the time when you get rid of managers because that, <laughs> that yeah that was poor yeah, we're yeah. not that bad right now yeah definitely definitely when you factor in uh, everything else I have a question a very quick yes no question for each of you and then I'm going to fire out to the, to the listeners as well so I'll start with you Will root beer yes or no root beer yes no okay Tom I've never had it oh, that's poor Jonathan uh, yeah again same with Tom never had it so I can't really uh, tell you an answer on okay that. so that's uh, a definite wrong answer from Will and a, I'll, I'll convert you to soon listeners you can tweet me and let me know what you think of root beer yes or no um, hint if you're going to tell me no then just don't bother tweeting me um, and I think I think we're done so Jonathan how can people follow you follow your work uh, yeah well I'm the commentator for the Barnet website so if you're not at a game then tune in to me on Barnet I follow uh, my Twitter name is pretty simple. It's at Jonathan Blakey. Um, Once you Blakey. say very simple, Will was trying to tell me how to spell your name earlier and got it wrong. <laughs> so, yeah. do, you want to, well, do you want to literally spell it out for the idiots like me out there? I'm hoping that the bit where people are getting confused is not the Jonathan part. That is pretty simple. J O N A T H A N. But Blakey, everybody gets it wrong. I was just about to say uh, before you said you got it wrong. It's B L A K. <laughs> B-L-A-K-I-E at the end. And yeah, that's how you follow me on Twitter as well. I've got a good number of fans already on, on Facebook as well, same name. Uh, so if you want to add me, then feel free. Excellent. Thanks a lot for, for joining us today, Jonathan. It's been an absolute pleasure. Uh, Tom? Yeah. Uh, 
Uh, it's uh, I'm on Twitter. I'm not going to give you my Facebook because I try and keep that to under 150 people. Uh, it's Tom Bodell, T B B O D E L L. Follow me for lots and lots of Barnet pro Barnet pro Rossi content. It bordering on propaganda, but do really well. <laughs> William. Um, yeah, you can tweet to at Will G Evans. Um, obviously, I do the commentary with Jonathan for the Bees Player Away games. We're always always good to get a few questions. Sorry, Will. I think you've got your own Twitter handle wrong, aren't you, Will G Evans One? <laughs> You're absolutely right. <laughs> <laughs> how awful god what a, what a media professional I am. Um, <laughs> anyway it doesn't matter yeah at will g evans one any questions during the game uh for commentary or obviously for this pod if you've got any excellent and can i my... just can i just add yes i'm a big fan i haven't actually told you this yet will but i'm a big fan of all the uh subtle little pictures he keeps on taking of me in the press box before the game starts at away games <laughs> I'm keep it coming <laughs> Excellent. This is something I want to investigate off air and see where they're being published. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at Easteraros. I've just looked. Sorry? There are lots of them. I'm going to have to explain this. It's because I always take a take a picture of the press box, like you know, whenever we're whenever we're at a game or whatever, and kind of put it into like a little set of photos to tweet. And obviously, Jonathan's always there doing something before the game, so he just gets in all the shots. I'm just going to edit say, that out I so people have no idea that what you're doing will. <laughs> I just want to clarify. I am actually a genuine good fan, big fan of them. I do actually quite like them. I, I like snapshots of me working. Uh, I didn't mean it as in Will's being a creep. <laughs> okay. We all heard Will's being a creep, and if necessary, I'm willing to. I don't like editing this podcast at all because I'm far too lazy. But if I have to edit out Will's explanation to make him seem like a creep, I'm willing to commit to that. <laughs> Your will thing to do that. Terrible. And on that note, let, let me plug myself. <laughs> um, I'm on Twitter at Eastavaros. That's E S T I V A R O S. And anything else anyone wants to say before we uh, call the squits? Yeah, uh, just quickly. Oh, sorry, did I cut someone off? No, 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 go for it. Go on, then, uh, I was just going to say, uh, yeah, do do tweet us your thoughts. Do tweet us and say. I hated this. Do tweet us and say we go on too long. Do tweet us and send constructive criticism. Um, do share it with your friends. Like the the more people listen to it, the more likely we are to actually keep doing it. And that's the main thing. We all enjoy doing it. But if no one's listening to it, we might as well just go to the pub and have this conversation. Um, so do please share it. Do please tell us where we could be doing better, etc. And you know what direction you want us to go down. If you want us to keep doing this, or if we're too out of date. And you want to, you know, we one of the things we were spitballing was uh, was interviews and what have you. So, you know, do kind of give us your opinions and feedback. We are all big enough and ugly enough to uh, to take it, even if you uh, even if you're uh, exclusively negative. We would we would appreciate that more than no feedback. That's a valid point. I can back that up. Yeah. And will you had something you wanted to say? No, no, not at all. I'm I'm all good. Jonathan. I would just like to say to you guys, you three, uh, thank you very much for having me on. I thoroughly enjoyed it, and I hope this isn't the last time I am on this podcast. We'll see about that. <laughs> <laughs> All I right. Past the uh, assessment stage. <laughs> Good night, gents, and uh, well, bye, listeners.